0: I said Everything gonna be on life right.
1: Good day, wherever you're listening from, and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio, for Friday, June 3rd, 2016. This week is episode 416. My name is Radio Joe Hughes, and I am coming to you live from the studios at IAQ Radio. We are re-editing and remixing the show we did live in Boulder, Colorado, at the Microbiome of the Built Environment Conference. That was the uh, fifth annual Sloan microbiology of the built environment conference at the conference we met with uh, a lot of great researchers but for the show we brought in carl grimes ula harvanan shaughnessy sarah kwan and iman sylvain we'll tell you a little bit more about them as we go along the uh, show went very well, but we had some recording issues with a uh, conference phone that wasn't working properly, so I'm re recording my section. We could not do the show without our sponsors, starting with our marquee sponsors
2: John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at their website, J O N D O com. That's John Don.com.
1: CleanFacts, the number one information source for cleaning and restoration professionals. Check them out at CleanFactsWithAnX.com.
2: IAQ.net and Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions are available at IAQ.net.
1: And Particles Plus, they are engineers and manufacturers of feature-rich particle counters air quality monitoring instrumentation, and vacuum pump technology. ParticlesPlus.com. Count on us.
2: Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products.
1: Last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Okay, let's turn it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question.
2: Thanks, Joe. When a cool prize by out-competing fellow IAQ Radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IQ radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is easy. Either email it to czlotnick at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show live, you can text in the answer via your computer. I'm sorry to report oh. there was no correct answer to last week's IQ radio trivia question. The IQ Radio Trivia Question for Friday, June 3, 2016, has been sponsored by Ideas, the solution chemistry company creating u- unique solutions to odor removal, surface cleaning, and decontamination problems. Now for this week's IQ Radio Trivia Question Name the former CEO of General Motors, remembered today with a complex mixture of admiration for his accomplishments appreciation for his philanthropic legacy and uneasy reproach about his attitudes during the interwar period and World War II back to you Joe
1: the microbiology of the built environment conference was held on Thursday and Friday at uh, Boulder in Boulder Colorado the hosts were the Colorado University folks it's the uh, sponsor was Sloan And uh, this was the fifth annual event, and the last time it will be held at uh, Colorado University, at least for right now. The the next event will be in D.C., Washington, D.C., next year. And they are looking at ways of continuing the program as Sloan goes on to fund other types of programs and hopefully find others to continue with the funding for the research and the gathering of the professionals, such as what happened here this week, uh, as time goes on. So we'll report back on how that goes. As But it was a great conference, a lot of uh, excellent speakers, uh, very academic in nature, but that's what you would expect at this type of a conference. It started with presentations of papers, as we... Normally would on a lot of conferences, they'll they'll have posters, and uh, the posters are up, and then the people who wrote the paper are there to discuss, you know, what, what the paper was on and what, what type of things they found in their research. And, in fact, that's where I found one of our guests for today, Iman Sylvain, a young lady, very nice person from out in California. She goes to uh, Cal Berkeley, and um, she had done some research on you know, the differences in microbiome between different types of buildings and, and different t- types of socioeconomic status. And uh, she's one of the up-and-coming young people in the industry, so I thought let's get Iman on here and let her talk to some of our listeners and give them an idea of where this you know, this, this research is headed and, and who's coming up and who's going to be taking on as some of us uh, move on with our uh, life after you know, after work here, but um, I was really impressed with her and really impressed with the a lot of the young people there that are the future. It was a very diverse group, a lot of women, and uh, that's always great to see. Our first guest that joined us at the conference was Carl Grimes. I, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are familiar with Carl. Carl's been on this show several times. It's been a little while since we last had him. He's moved to a new group. He's with Hayward Healthy Homes now, and he is very involved in indoor environmental quality, and they've put together a program for how to build a, a home that has fewer chemicals, fewer allergens, and is a healthier home. They have it properly ventilated, and it's um, using all the building science principles that you know, we've been learning over the years. And they're also now working on some other programs they'll be uh, releasing here, I would imagine, toward the end of the year. And we'll bring Carl back on when, when they're ready to uh, make those announcements. But let's start with a little section with Carl. We talked to him about what what he learned at the conference and what he would like to pass along to listeners.
3: <laughs> a lot. <laughs> and, in fact, the presentation going on right now is to- the toxicity of dust. Uh, okay. Yeah. So I I I've got my colleague taking scrupulous notes on it <laughs> <because laughs> the, the 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 PhD is from uh, Finland and they there are several people here that uh, from Finland and of course that but they've been ahead of the U S for years on on all this on the fungi know Nevalainen was the one that. Geez, uh, 12, 15 years ago now, that first started talking about uh, uh, gram negative bacteria being perhaps as effective or as troublesome as the mold. Oops. And then she came out with some of the gram positive, and now they'll taking a of look at dust. And uh, the, the mycobacterium is one specific part of all of this. And before I say more about that, I want to just give a I don't know what you've told the audience so far, but um, when you look at the microbiome, it's the total bacteria, the total fungi, the total virus, and all the dynamic interactions of all those together. And then uh, most of the presenters are looking at specific parts of that, so the mycobacterium is not only a specific part of that, but it's a specific of the specific down to not just mycobacterium, but a particular species of it. And uh, Dr. Lowry, Christopher Lowry, uh, was talking about it at, 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 at in depth at dinner last night. When they started looking at this a few years ago, there, they knew that there were maybe three or four species, I hope I'm getting the numbers right, of mycobacterium, non-tuberculous myco, because the tuberculosis mycobacterium is the one that causes tuberculosis in it. Really troublesome now. I mean, it takes two to three years of treatment well. for people because it's resistant to most of the. Um, it's on a little treatment. bit of a rebound,
4: too, isn't it? Yeah, it is.
3: So, and, and the important point there is uh, that, several important points, but one of them is that it's becoming resistant to antibiotics. It is on a rebound, okay? And we have to be very, very careful about what it is we talk about. You can't just talk about microbiome and includes everything. You can't talk just about bacteria, and you can't just talk about mycobacteria. You have to talk about a specific species and variety of mycobacterium because it's different than others. Mm-hmm. And that's also true for mold. Everybody knows about mold. Penicillium, penas, stachybot- There's They all have species, and they all have varieties, and they all act differently. So the mycobacterium is very specific, very precise, and that's what uh, uh, Dr. Lowry has been studying and finding that it has not just physiological consequences but psychological consequences. And it's not just that that it creates panic in us. We panic psychologically. It's a biochemical process that affects our emotions and it affects our thinking and it affects our perception of reality.
4: I-, I want to come back to that in a moment, uh, because they also had a speaker from the Air Force here talking about how this microbiome may affect, you know, psychological issues with, with the military veterans. Yeah, PTSD.
2: PTSD.
4: that was a fascinating presentation. But, Cliff, like, I think you've got a, a comment or question on uh, TB.
2: Well, no, it's really a comment. Uh, you know, in the, in the late 1960s, I was in high school, and my grandmother, who was born uh, in Lithuania and then uh, emigrated to Palestine in the late uh, in the late thirties, came to the United States for the first time. And when she was getting off the plane at, at LaGuardia, uh, she stumbled and she bumped her collarbone, uh, you know, like on a guardrail that, that was there. And she ended up, you know, having this bruise and over a couple of days, the bruise didn't get, uh, didn't get better. It actually got worse. And we ended up taking her to a uh, hospital in Pittsburgh and they ended up hospitalizing her and it just kept getting worse. They couldn't figure out exactly what was, you know, what was going on. They finally did, did some exploratory surgery. They kind of opened it up. They cleaned out the wound and yeah, uh, you know, it became from a bruise. It ended up becoming a wound, and they couldn't figure out what was wrong with her. And the only reason that my grandmother lived for twenty some years after that was they had an old doctor who was an expert in infectious disease, and my grandmother uh, reflected tuberculosis symptoms. So somehow she had been. Uh, exposed to tuberculosis in Europe. It remained in her body for, for many years. Uh, the stress of the accident triggered it. And the symptoms, you know, I'm not sure whether the symptoms to, uh, you know, that they were talking about with the types of strains of tuberculosis at the event you know, would be the same strains. But a lot of times, infectious disease uh, doctors have never seen it. So I think, you know, one of the big concerns is, will they recognize it? you know, the symptoms.
1: I also wanted to ask Carl about a presentation by J. David Miller. Dr. Miller, who has been on IAQ Radio, it's been many years now. He joined us with Don Weeks after the AIHA Green Book Recognition, Evaluation, and Control of Indoor Mold came out. Uh, Dr. Miller and uh, Don joined us to talk about that. But he gave a presentation that I think every indoor environmental professional out there should see, and he discussed how, you know, over time, a lot of information has been uh, presented over the years that that people really aren't that familiar with, and that um, they really should be more familiar with, and that a lot of the things we we wonder about have been answered to some degree or another, but I wanted to get Carl's opinion on his presentation, so let's hear what Carl has to say.
3: (laughs) He always has a fascinating presentation, and he's got the history of it, and he's got the nuance of it. More than anybody else with David Miller, it's not, if it's or totally sure, sure he labels it that. And when it's fact, then you know it's fact because it's been peer-reviewed and established over time. And in fact, the conversation that uh, I think you were there for part of it this morning with, with him when I was talking to him about the mycobacterium issue. He went into the, this description of it can be there. You have to recognize it. To your point, Cliff, we recognize it. But there's other possibilities. There's still other options, and they haven't figured out what those options are yet and how to differentiate them. And so he's that careful. He, if they have that differentiated out from everything else, then he will say that. And until that point, he won't. So it was fascinating to hear his take on all this and to show the progression of how things like dust mite in the past, uh, people like him and others were ridiculed for talking about dust mite. And But as the studies progressed, then it became more obvious and known. And on top of that, what they've done with the studies now is to find out that, one, dust mite can actually cause the disease of asthma, not just trigger an asthma attack, but cause the disease. So causation, and two, it's all over the world now where it wasn't before. Yeah. It's at higher levels, and it's now everywhere where it wasn't before, yeah. including here in Colorado. I've been told for 30 years that we don't have dust mites here. Fifteen years ago, a local doctor and I did a, a 30 houses using the John Toskins protocol that is now indoor biotechnologies, yep. and out of 30 houses, we only found two that had detectable levels of dust mites, but it wasn't enough to quantify. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now with newer techniques, uh, with the practice parameter that uh, from Quad AI that Dr. Miller was talking about, Ginger Chu at CDC in particular has found. Oh, I've been to Denver. I've done studies, and you have dust mites. Because yeah. now they know how to what to look for and how to identify it. And he uh, he was. The whole discussion on
4: dust mites was amazing, and that practice parameter is available now. If you go to the aaaai.org, I it you right. see, and go to their practice parameters, you'll find the one on dust mite. And as I understand it, they're working on one on mold,
3: but it, he just said it was published somewhere, but not, I don't know if it, it's on Yeah, Jackie, Journal of uh, Allergy and Clinical Immunology, um, instead of being published as a practice parameter, I don't think, He and some others would say this, but I will. (laughs) (laughs) The people behind the uh, uh, original Acom mold position statement in 2002 that create such problems. uh, Basically, they take the position of the defense attorneys, and if it's not defensible in court, then it's not medicine, and doctors shouldn't be talking about it. Um, They got involved in the peer review of our uh, mold practice parameter. Mr. Carl was on that. You were on the <laughs> committee, yeah, right? Yeah, I'm okay. on that committee. <clears throat> and so what we did in lieu of that was uh, the Journal of uh, Allergy and Clinical Immunology agreed to do a whole issue on mold. Okay. So it separated out into different articles, if you will, chapters in that document. Okay, and one of the keys, other than the taxonomy of it, which gets into like the microbiome of, well, what is all this? Well, they get into DNA sequencing, and (laughs) everything gets confused. Okay. Okay, they overlap, they separate, and this sort of thing. But one of the key differences in the practice parameters plus the whole documents is environmental assessment. Now, you'd think that with allergists, they would say, yeah, stop being exposed. And they understand this, like get rid of your cat, get rid of your dog, get rid of your carpet kind of thing. Cover your pillows. Right. But when it came to presenting uh, 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 evidence-based actions to do this, like in a house other than get rid of the cat, how do you get rid of the cat dander? Mm -hmm. What do you do about that? We got some resistance because they didn't understand it. So it was the leadership of Dr. Miller and uh, Jay Portnoy at Children's Mercy Hospital who was the lead uh, on this that we got the environmental assessment in there and what Dr. Miller presented yesterday was a set of questions for mold That physicians can ask patients a set of five questions to screen and if they answer certain ones in certain ways, here's a response to help them understand. And if, if, if they have other uh, threshold of questions or certain answers, then they go to the second level, which may include, then, an environmental assessment. Okay. Okay. Right. So that's, that's the main – that's the key difference between what they have done and any other medical approach. And they ask things like, do you have forced air? And, uh, is that right. right. Or is and that... if, if you've had leaks or – dampness issues and things like that. And it's more of a questionnaire as opposed to sampling of the indoor environment. It's, that's the part is the questionnaire. Yes, it is. And I'm glad you brought up the sampling part. All right.
0: I <laughs> figured <laughs> you
4: would be here.
0: <laughs>
3: because the presentation that just finished before I came up, uh, uh, Martin Tobel from Finland again, okay. uh, Instead of looking at, like, the whole microbiome, they started looking at parts of it, and it was, uh, if we look at mold and bacteria in an urban area versus a rural area, is there any difference? Yeah, there is. It's really significant difference in fungi and bacteria both, okay? And then, this is the most intriguing part, they, they looked at, did a study where they have a mechanical robot baby. Oh, yeah. And, and the video is actually on, on the website. I have to get that to the website to you. We looked it up. All right. And it's got this little mechanical baby that has paws, you know, alternate hitting the carpet. So It's called it's his hands. It's his <laughs> hand. <laughs> his paws, yeah. <laughs> well, it wasn't human enough. Uh, and, okay. So they did sampling um, of carpet. Uh, with a sample at its nose, and then what at the adult level, Mm -hmm. okay? And they did for mold and bacteria to see what the difference was. Well, intuitively, you know, it's going to be higher at this baby's breathing zone. That's all we've always heard up here. But now they've got the data to show it. But what was even more interesting is that um, the particles that go up are differentiated based on weight, Okay, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. aerodynamic dynamic and then they studied how long for it to, the, to reduce again so then it has to do with the size and weight of particles and how quickly they settle out of the air. It's not uniform and this is I guess the one point I want to make to everybody out there that listens to this that does air sampling, mm-hmm. everybody that does four traps whether <laughs> you do it inside, outside or you take 50,000 of them Mold is not distributed uniformly, and they've got the data to show it. Proof they got the scatter stars, They looked at it four different ways, and it is not uniform. So you can take a sample at one spot and take a sample three inches away from it. Layer, you can do air samples side by side, and they can be different. And he even did it seasonality. with seasonality. You take it at a different season, and it's going to be different. So when, when people take samples, air samples, dust samples, even the, the PCR, the quantifiable the, the, the PCR, is, it, it's different.
0: Hmm.
3: So you have to be very careful that we don't, and this goes back to what David Miller was telling us this morning, you have to be aware of what the other explanations are and how do you separate this out for this explanation and not another and that's really true for samples. And and he was specifically talking about aflatoxin in,
4: in that case. Right. right. Hepatitis C, I think it was. Right. Yeah. Early on when he and others um, were publishing that aflatoxin was such
3: a uh, liver, cancer. liver
4: cancer issue, um, they couldn't separate it as easily as they would have liked from the potential that hepatitis C it, may have right. been causing the liver cancer. Right. So they got a lot of feedback for many right. years. But now it's you know, they know how to tell the difference. Yep, And uh, it's pretty, you know, everybody accepts it, that
3: apple carcinogen is one of the most potent carcinogens known to man. And one of his points, and it goes directly to our industry, IAQ and that sort of thing, is before you spend money, you need to be sure of what you're doing. Otherwise, you're going to spend money on something that doesn't get you anywhere. And that's one of the big issues and Crimes, in quotes, of mold, and a lot of our industry is that somebody takes a couple of samples and they read the history of the world, and people leave the home and they leave, abandon it, and they abandon all their possessions, and it's based on information that people believe, and most of the time it's wrong.
4: All right, let's Let's uh, let's take a break and thank our sponsors. We're at our halftime. We'll be back with Carl Grimes. We're at the microbiome of the Build Environment Conference in Boulder, Colorado. And who knows who else may step in the room during the second
1: half. And thanks to our association sponsors, the Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization, dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iaqa.org. The Restoration and Specialty Cleaners
2: Association have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for over 30 years. Remember, Triska is your link to industry training, certification, standards, and events. Their website is trsca.org. Thanks to our advertisers.
1: Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com.
2: Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Visit them at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors, John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at their website, jondo That's Johndon.com.
1: Clean Facts, the number one information source for cleaning and restoration professionals. Check them out at cleanfactswithanx.com.
2: IQ.net and Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions are available at iaq.net.
1: And Particles Plus. They are engineers and manufacturers of feature-rich particle counters, air quality monitoring instrumentation, and vacuum pump technology. ParticlesPlus.com. Count on us.
2: Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio. When you inquire about their services and products. Okay, we're
4: back to the second half of our interview. We've got uh, Carl Grimes and I see Cliff the Z Man, you've got a question for Carl?
2: Yeah, I do. Carl, one of the things that I thought that I heard you say was that um, you didn't have dust mites in, in Colorado and that they didn't have dust mites in other parts of the world and now you do. And I guess the question is uh, were they were they always there and people just didn't know they were there or have the sophistication to find them? Or are they spreading? And if so, how?
3: Yeah, that's a really good question, Cliff. Um, there's two uh, yes to both of them. One, they didn't know. Well, first of all, they didn't know to look for them. Uh, second, once they discovered that they existed, then a lot of people didn't believe that they, they were significant or they had any kind of impact on people. And as people started realizing that and researchers started looking at it more closely, uh, it's like with everything else. They don't, the, the first attempt at detecting something and measuring it isn't very good. They have to learn and refine, and then it gets better, more sensitive, more accurate, And my understanding is that over time that both things have happened. One, they can detect it better now so they can see it now where they couldn't before, but it's also more prevalent now. They're finding dust mites in, uh, the first studies came out of Hawaii, believe it or not, and then they found it in other parts of the world, and they're finding it even in like New Guinea and the jungle areas of the world now, where they haven't found it before. Well, what what um, Doctor Miller
4: told me was that they actually started in Papua New Guinea. Um, the the dust
3: mites were in Papua New Guinea, and now they're worldwide.
4: And um, that's where they
3: originated. That's where they
4: originated.
3: Where they were first detected in Hawaii, but with DNA, they originated in New Guinea. Yeah, that's correct. Okay, that's and correct. now they have spread throughout the world. And now they're worldwide. Yeah. So think about that for a moment. You know, you've got this
4: major problem for people with allergies and asthma, and, and as Carl was saying earlier, they're now saying the dust mite allergen may actually occur. I don't know if it's the allergen, but the dust might the, the exposure to them may actually cause asthma, which is right a big leap. And this was all something that started from one place on Earth that people went out and did exploration in. Um, as I understand it, they found these early on on the um, feathers of, of some of the birds that they collected. Right. And uh, now they're, they're worldwide, and they're a worldwide problem for people. And this is what, what we find out by, by looking at the microbiome in more detail.
3: Right. It, so it's also a sensitizer. In other words, it doesn't just trigger asthma, symptoms, wheezing and so forth, uh, or an asthma attacks, which can be life-threatening, and there are people that die uh, uh, frequently from asthma attacks, so it's very, very serious. Uh, And not only does it, it cause, and the Institute of Medicine has come out of that position about five years ago now, I believe, where they said it's not just associated or connected or related, it is a cause. It can be a cause of asthma. But it's also a really potent sensitizer, meaning that it can trigger off the immune system to be more reactive to other things. So it kind of gets into what Dr. Claudia Miller talks about on the chemical side of tilt or toxic and induced loss of tolerance. I call it the straw that breaks the camel's back. He doesn't like that, but <laughs> it's not scientific enough. But that's what it is. Your immune system and body carries a certain load and we each have a different capacity And when you add that one little extra piece uh, to the load of it, it triggers it, breaks the camel's back, so to speak. Well, you don't fix the camel by removing that one straw. You've got to unload. Mm -hmm. Remove as much as you can. Unload the immune system. Unload your exposure sources so that the body can heal. Then it can slowly add more back to it. There was another statement he made about 0 fluid fungi
4: and, and that the dust mites also use 0 fluid fungi as a food source. Um, I was wondering, is, is there anything that kind of caught your attention with that statement? Is that,
3: um, I don't know if these two are connected because I'm, I don't know that much about it, but uh, 20 years ago, Zab Godish, uh, who was one of the first indoor air quality researchers, he identified dust mites as eating the fat off of the human skin cells. And we still know that that's where dust mites proliferate and infest. It's where you spend a lot of time, like upholstered furniture in your mattress, because you shed your skin cells. That's where it accumulates. That's the food source. And if you have sufficient humidity, then they can thrive. Okay.
4: And you've got an area also where the fungi may have a little mix, and then what's the interaction between those two exposures, which I don't think anybody
3: knows No, no, no. So this is what's interesting too, Joel, uh, is that they got all this information out there now, but they don't know if it means anything. Right, right. Okay, so they know X, Y, Z, and everything else, and it's dynamic and it interacts, but they're just beginning to figure out, is it important or not? Does it have an impact on health? And that impact may not always be negative. This is, this is the other part of it. Some of this is positive. You know, we've got like uh, 10 times more microbiome, mold, bacteria, virus, than we have cells in our body. Mm-hmm. Yep. Some of those are pathogens which threaten our life. But the vast majority of them are life-supportive or neutral. Some of them are essential to life. We can't digest our food without certain bacteria and fungi and even viruses. Yep. Okay. Yep. So it's not all bad, and that's the biggest thing about cleaning uh, okay, and disinfection uh, with mold and other kinds of things. and Just killing everything isn't going to solve the problem. Just killing everything can actually cause problems. All right, let's, let's move on a little
4: bit, Carl. We had a couple of other presentations. I want to mention one um, prior guest on our show, Dr. Siegel, Jeff Siegel, was on. And he was talking about um, does the building only matter when it gets wet? And he was talking about wetting of materials and then how we measure dampness and and moisture. And um, he's a fascinating guy and a great speaker. I wonder if you had any, uh, you know, points that you'd like to uh,
3: share with listeners on Dr. Siegel's presentation? But uh, actually, yes, because there were some key points that he made that is changing my thinking a little bit and uh, altering some of the evaluation I'm doing at the Hayward Healthy Home Institute. I'm the managing director there, and we've developed a, a survey. We're not ready to release it yet, uh, quite yet. It's close, and we've got an algorithm to evaluate and score houses. Okay, and one of, the key, one of the key and major parameters in that algorithm is moisture mm-hmm. because you, if you just have high humidity, that's what people think of. But if you've got dust, whatever all that is, including dust mites and human skin and so forth, and moisture, uh, it, it cascades. So if you've got a wet climate, a humid climate, and a crawl space that's damp, and you've got a forced air system in the crawl space, or the ducting in the crawl space, Mm -hmm. and you have uh, 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 six or seven people in a 1,000 square feet breathing, uh, giving off humidity from the breath, Mm -hmm. and they take long showers and lots of cooking, (laughs) you you know, you've got a high moisture load in there. And what he's saying is that, so what? If it's humidity in the air, and that's what everybody measures. In fact, Dr. Miller pointed out that the humidity in the middle of the room is very different than the humidity near a cold window right, or in a corner. So, and what Jeff Siegel is saying is that you can have high humidity, but if it doesn't become liquid water, if it doesn't condense, or if it's not absorbed into material to raise the moisture content, it's not going to do anything because the mold doesn't absorb moisture from the air, it's says. Okay. So it's liquid water, and he actually came up with the fourth state. It's not liquid, gas, vapor, but absorbed. Absorbed, yeah. And he considered that a fourth state of uh, water. And Cliff, this is a question for you. That
4: actually came from uh, Joe Steve. Uh, uh,
3: that that uh, slide uh, came from Joe Steve. Is that right?
4: Yep. Absorbed water.
3: Yeah. Cliff, you've been involved in water damage the restoration forever.
2: What do you think of that? I think he's probably right. Um, I've felt for some time that really the big issue for you know mold amplification you know within an environment is really water activity, and I think that you know we've spent so much time. Um, measuring temperature and measuring relative humidity and uh, you know, relative humidities related to temperature. So I think a lot of it really is a waste of time. And you know, I've thought for some period of time now that uh, in a structural drying project, uh, we're done with the project when we have lowered the water activity in materials to a point that they are no longer going to support fungal amplification so that we're done drying. We're done doing what we need to do probably hours, days, perhaps even weeks before contractors think they're done. You know, we may be drying too much, you know, not that it hurts the building, but you know, someone's paying for that, you know, in terms of renting equipment, uh, you know, if the equipment isn't in there on a daily rental fee, like if yeah, you know, if you rent it for a month and really doesn't matter, let it run, no problem. Uh, if, however, every uh, moment that it's in there, the the meter is ticking and it's and it's going upwards, then I think that we could stop the drying once uh, you know materials in the building, uh, the, the water activity's been lowered to the to the point that it's not going to support. Uh, Fun way amplification
4: all right let's let's start we're, we're gonna run a little low on time I want to move on because it, you know there's two other sessions yesterday and actually there was um, two on one subject and one on another I want to talk to Carl a little bit about the first two were on uh, the microbiome of, of water of drinking water essentially and they they had measured the The microbiome at different stages in the drinking water, and uh, you know it almost made you not want to drink water. But they they were real quick quick to tell you keep drinking water, it's okay. But um, there was a lot of very interesting information about you know the delivery system and um, you know at the at the facility where they're you know taking our wastewater and then uh, treating the wastewater and then at the distribution and how it goes through the pipes into the you know the distribution system and then the individual distribution system of each home and how when they measured it from homes that were closer to the, the processing and further away there was a different microbiome uh, in those two different
3: locations in the same drinking water system. Carl, any comments for you? Yeah, that was quite interesting. It, it, I agree with you. It makes you think twice about drinking water. You know what made me think about it, Cliff is uh, Dr. Wild. Um, Peter
4: used to yes. tell me, you know, I don't drink water. And he would say, you know, uh, because fish do strange things in it. And uh, <laughs> uh, he, he, he only drank alcohol. He believed in alcohol. <laughs> and, uh, it, you know, I'm starting to think
3: maybe he had a point there, but I don't know. Uh, Carl? Oh, well, uh, I don't drink alcohol at all, so I'm <laughs> at a loss on that one. But uh, as you mentioned that, um, uh, I noticed the uh, water in different cities. I travel a lot, so I get water in a lot of different cities, and it's very, very different.
4: Mm-hmm. And,
3: for example, in Monterey and Carmel, where Hayward Health Home Institute is located, uh, for when I first started going out there at the hotel, I would go to the, the complimentary breakfast in the morning and get my hot tea and so forth. And the first two or three times I was there, it's like, I am so groggy and foggy, and it's like, what is going on? I just thought it was new, and it said stress and everything else. And then one time, uh, I was running late, so I didn't do that, and I'm okay. I got to thinking. And then I find out what I ask. It's, yeah, there's, a, there's an aquifer in that part of town that is notorious for bad waters. Hmm. And the water near corporate and near Carmel itself is a different aquifer, and I can drink that, and it's okay. Okay. Now, both of them meet the clean water standards. So the criteria that they measure, they meet that, but they don't measure everything. Now, coming back to your question about that presentation, uh, as they differentiate and start looking at what all is in water, and at various parts of the treatment system. What was fascinating to me was that the chlorine or chloramine, whatever they use to disinfect it, doesn't get rid of everything. It reduces things. And in fact, E. coli, you can have 15 organisms of E. coli per liter of water, and it meets the safe water standards. Mm-hmm. Anything above that threshold is considered uh, contaminated. but you can still have E. coli in there. Now, as, as the water goes down the distribution system where, where the chloramine, the disinfectant, is applied, then its effectiveness decreases over time and as it reacts with organics.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So it's less effective at the end of the line than it is at the beginning. So while you have most effect at the beginning, you have least effects at the end, and the ones that it doesn't kill off start to amplify
4: okay. so you get more at the end and then
3: last year they went into the house to look at cold water versus the hot water heater okay. and they're finding similar kinds of things and then they had uh dr bibby Kyle bibby who's
4: actually out of pit cliff and I, we, we're going to get him on sometime he's uh he was also talking about drinking water and his most of his research i think and the work he's done is focused on legionella and, and the issues and he's worked with dr stout and um Looking forward to getting him on. We're running a little low, so what I'd like to do is move on to what I thought was a fascinating presentation. It was um, Andy Hoisington, Dr. Hoisington, who's with the United States Air Force Academy, and uh, he was talking about how they're looking at the microbiome and, and actually how it might affect psychological um, have psychological effects for their uh, for the for the people in the in the military.
3: And uh, Carl, any comment on that? <laughs> well, I found that real interesting. Was we'll, just quickly because we've got some more people yeah, coming in. Uh, they, uh, uh, is that he feels that there's more Legionella than. Well, it goes back to our conversation about dust mites. There's more, maybe more Legionella than we're aware of because we haven't learned how to really detect it. Right. Yeah. Right. And
4: we've got Laura uh, Hoffman She just stopped in and wanted to make sure we got a chance to say hello. And uh, welcome to IAT Radio. It's good to have you back, but in person this time. <laughs> you have <laughs> yes, to yes. speak up a little bit. We'll have speakerphone.
0: No, uh, thank you. I was presenting here yesterday, and I also brought Sarah Kwan with me, who has been uh, doing some work with us. She's from the University of Yale. Hi,
4: Hi Sarah. Yes. Nice to meet you. you. Come on in a little bit closer. Sarah, Sarah what um
0: when we were talking,
4: we already did a little bit of a review of of what you talked about with the cleaning. Uh, was that part were you part of that project? Yes, yes. All right. So we were talking about how the microbiome after three days was basically back to where it started, with quantity wise. Quantity wise. All right. So can you give me a little more detail on that because I I don't want to mislead people. I you know I try and summarize things for them, but sometimes I mess it up. So the quantity of the microbiome was back. But was it slightly different? Uh,
0: that is a work in progress. We cannot say yet. So the samples are all out for sequencing. So in the next two, three weeks, we will be able to elaborate on what came back. So we know quantity-wise it's back. Okay. So we don't know what's back.
4: So don't know exactly what. Is know back. No, Yeah. Is it not a problem, though, with, with the whole microbiome? Research issue, I and mean, we don't always know what to do with the
0: information.
4: It, 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 even when you do know what's bad, what are we going to do with it? You know, uh,
0: well, at this point, we don't really seem to know what is good and what is bad, so it's hard to give any recommendations. That, uh, whether we should get rid of that or does it matter? Or is it good? We maybe? Have to go
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah. maybe we're happy with huh? that.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's some beneficial microbes, there's some detrimental, plus every child will have a different immune response for the different microbes. So it's it's not an easy thing to give a recommendation for these kinds of things. I guess guess what I would say uh, at this point still, um, because it seems like there's um, a lot of variation in how the schools are being cleaned and how frequently and so on, and also because the schools are different. So in like middle and high school where they have rotating classes or different kids are using the same desk throughout the day. And it's still probably that it's good to have them cleaned every now and then. And I think
4: we talked earlier that some schools don't clean the desk at all. And is that accurate?
0: That's what we have been hearing from schools and different schools. And some schools have the kids clean the desk. I don't know, maybe that's a good practice or maybe a teacher should do it because it's a know, um you the cleaning the, um, stuff and their time. And, right. But once we get more information from the truth I think we can give some better recommendations
4: from home. Did you look at the type of cleaning product at all and how that affected, the, the re, you know, the rebound of the microbiome?
0: We haven't really looked into that. We have said that um, the schools, we have used the similar protocols for cleaning up schools have been used. We haven't interfered on that, so it's just whatever is generally being used in schools. So
4: you know. Do you know what, I mean, from looking at the different school practices, what they're using now?
0: I know in the three schools I did, they all use something different. It's okay. but quantity-wise, it didn't make a difference. It'll be interesting to see if it makes a difference when we get what is coming back.
4: So, okay.
0: is one score, you do index. One score, you do bacteria, and one score, you do purpose. Quantity-wise, you saw no difference. They all came back as quickly. It'll be interesting to see when we get the sequencing data whether the difference comes in there. But let me let
4: me let you jump in here because. I, you know, I know this was a study that you were uh, had some interest in. Anything you wanted to add or any follow-up?
2: Uh, I was having difficulty, uh, you know, hearing. But I, well, I guess my only comment was, um, you know, it would seem to me that some cleaning products are more likely to leave a residue uh, than others. You know, you can clean with something like rubbing alcohol or whatever that's not going to leave a, a residue. And some of the other products that have soaps or detergents or essential oils or things like that you know, could leave a residue. So that might make a difference in terms of uh, you know the rebound of the microbiome. But my primary question was whether or not any uh, bacterial-type products or probiotic products uh, were used in the study.
4: Just what are your overall thoughts on that? You know, I, I, was, did anybody use a probiotic in the in the study? No, I got Richard shaking his head in the background here. All right, nobody, nobody used that. But um, well, listen, what we've got to do is uh, I, I put, before we run, I wanted to um, just I, I thought we were going to have a young lady here. I didn't see her out there. Did you see, uh, Ma, here, uh, she is. all right, hey, coming in. Thank you, we'll, uh, and
1: yeah.
4: thanks we'll a to get, thank get together and we'll bring you on a later show. Yeah. All right. Uh, thank you very much, there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Hey, I've got uh, one more guest that popped in here, and I want to make sure we get a chance to say hi. I was really impressed. This is Imar Sylvain. You have to speak right into this speaker phone right here. All right. Hello. Hello, Iman. Hello. Uh, the, the first thing that they had was a poster presentation session, and I was walking around, and I met Imar and I'm like, Wow, here's the future of uh, indoor environments here.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
4: And uh, I was very impressed with, uh, you know, mm-hmm. your, just your presentation style more so than anything mm-hmm. and how you were able to explain it to me clearly. And I, I just wanted to get your thoughts on the conference. And, um, you know, you're a, a doctorate uh, candidate, right? Yes. At Cal
0: Berkeley? Yeah. That's so funny. People who say Cal generally think of our sports teams, and the people who say Berkeley think of the academics. So I'm glad that you merged those, too. I do a little both, yeah.
4: (laughs) But um, what's your general thoughts on the conference so far? I mean, what, what have you learned here that might be of interest to people who do work in the indoor environment?
0: One thing I've learned is it's a very diverse community. You know, you have engineers, you have physicists, chemists, and microbiologists, um, and so first of all, I think that that's really great to have these different minds kind of coming together and converging on one critical issue or one um, kind of topic. Uh, we see that kind of done in indoor air and healthy building conferences also, but this is like a smaller group of those, like a subset of those folks um, who more specifically looking at the microbiology of the indoor environment. That's like a new field. It's really interesting. Um, I did a master's in ecology and evolutionary biology, so I think a lot about what is the urban ecology? What is the what is the ecology of the, uh, of the indoor environment? The same way that climate, weather patterns, pH um, all that impact outdoor environments like forests uh, or beach environments, you have to think about that same kind of process indoors as well.
4: And how does that affect the <laughs> indoor environment? I mean, didn't you, wasn't we paper partially?
0: I'm trying to figure it out, you know. <laughs> uh, so what I learned at this conference this week is uh, Ventilation has a huge impact on the indoor environment. We just learned about daylight and what that does to like resuppend cells um, and microbes and exposure and inhalation. We have to think about also the organisms themselves, like what are humans breathing in, how how their bodies interact with these spaces, um, and design, which is kind of cool, uh, which I hadn't thought about a whole lot just
4: yet. Tell us a little bit about, you had a poster presentation. Tell us, if you would, real quick, what what was that about? And how does that work at a conference like this? This is an academic conference. A lot of our listeners aren't academics. So the first thing I walk in, there's a poster presentation, and all the people who were part of that research are standing around talking about their their work.
0: Yeah, so posters are really fun because the talks have a very prescribed kind of performance element. You're given... 15 to 30 minutes to talk about everything that you've done. that's really, um, it's supposed to be more solid, The so things that you're really ready to present. But pedestals, you get to just kind of say, this is kind of what we're working on. This is what we're thinking about. These are our ideas. What do you think about this? Does this make sense? Does the, the data that we're gathering like seem to vibe with with other topics and what is interesting about this before you kind of publish it and would and we'll go do a talk. Oh, okay. um, so it's a great way to get feedback. So my my data that I presented is very preliminary. We're still kind of combing through it. The, the analysis is ongoing. So it was a good way for me to get some ideas from other people about what my like, possible next steps would be. Okay. And
4: what's the title on it again? Uh, the
0: Impact of Water Damage and residents on... The impact of water damage on microbial communities in, in residential buildings.
4: Well, that's something we're really interested in.
0: Yes, and we have been interested in it for about a century, I think. Well, our, our
4: <laughs> listeners in particular, they do water damage restoration. So when you've got a little more uh, meat on the bones on that, can we have you back and uh, talk a little bit about it?
0: Absolutely. Um, so what, right, what we know right now is that temperature, relative humidity, occupancy, and cats actually raise the microbial loads indoors. Okay. Cats.
4: Cats. Any thoughts? Why cats?
0: So I work in public housing projects in New York City and in Richmond and in high-rise buildings. So these cats are probably not going outside. They're not Uh, vectoring microbes from outdoors to indoors. So what we're thinking is probably it's the litter box. Okay. It's microbes associated with the litter box that are kind of trapped indoors.
4: Sounds like a good theory. <laughs> but that's
0: the thing about the poster. I'm asking other people, you know, why, why, why would it be cats rather than dogs? So we also looked at dogs and they weren't. They weren't you didn't anymore. have
4: the same issue with the dogs. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, and that's part of what this is about is bringing all you researchers together so you can, you know, figure out how to do a better job and how to work together and further the research on this issue. Yeah. All right. Well thanks so much. I'm glad we got to. I'm so glad you made it up. Oh, uh, uh,
0: thank you for the invitation. really
4: nice to meet you and uh really enjoyed talking to you at the uh, at this event. Thank I Look forward you. to having you on the future. <laughs> thank, thank you. you thank you, Mark. Great to see you. All right. Flip. anything you'd like to add before we wrap it up?
1: Nope, I'm good.
4: All right, this is Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks so much for guesting. They came in a little late, but we got it all worked out. Of course, Carl Grimes of the the Hayward Healthy Homes Initiative there, uh, always a pleasure to have Carl, who uh, Havon and Shaughnessy, and uh, we had uh, her, and then um, Sarah Kwan joined us as well. We're going to get her back on. Uh, Mark Hernandez wasn't able to pull away. He just swamped down there trying to run a conference. And, uh, of course, uh, my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff, thanks as always. Great to have you on. Uh. Uh, John, you've got to have faith back at the control. John, we've got some editing to do today. I'll get back with you after the show. This is Radio Joe saying Thanks so much also to our growing group of loyal listeners. We'll be back next Friday. The Z-Man and I are going to be in, uh, what is that, Canton, Ohio, Cliff?
2: That's right. uh, We're going to Canton, Ohio, home of the Football Hall of Fame. Kent State and Viola Management Associates. and We'll be broadcasting live from their summit. Uh, It's going to be a really good show next week.
4: We look forward to having everybody back next week and We'll be back next Friday at noon for the next episode of IAQ Radio.
3: This has been another IAQ Radio production.